Greetings, programs, and welcome to a new episode of the Awesome Friday Movie Podcast. My name is Matthew, and with me, as always, is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello, wonderful listeners. I hope you're all feeling well today and have watched interesting things as we might have as well. Indeed. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about two things, as is usual now. Um, The first of which is the new Disney Plus special, The Muppets Haunted Mansion. And the second of which is a new slasher film on Netflix called There's Someone Inside Your House. Uh, But before that, how's your week been, Simon? Um, Well, I don't want to sound like a stack record, but uh, holy shit, I'm tired. I think this is how I begin each podcast at the moment. Um, I may have mentioned before in previous podcasts that we're moving house. And so at the moment, we're in the process of packing packing everything and i currently live in a one bedroom den with four humans and a dog and i've lived here for 14 years this is the only home i've ever had in canada so i'm i've actually got this really weird mix of emotions where i really don't want to leave part of me doesn't want to leave it's Mm -hmm. like even with the drunk people keeping us awake every night the needles outside our door the feces on the street feces on the street um, yep. And the uh, the smashing, the shouting, the drugs. And so for, the for those of you who don't know, Simon lives in a bad part of town. Yeah, I, I live in an up and... It's what has been described for 14 years as an up and coming area. And I just wish at this point that it needs to up and come. Because well, it, it did. It got it got gentrified. It gentrified pretty nicely. And then I lived there for a while. And then right as we were leaving, it was starting to like go over the hill and go back down and then you've been there for four more years so the um the gentrification is interesting because chinatown has definitely transformed so i live just on the edge of chinatown uh if you know vancouver i'm on the other side of the viaduct just where the old bank is and the all the shiny new buildings which to be fair have have seemed to have done a really good job of incorporating some chinatown um, elements of architecture so it's not like a when they're not wiping the slate clean they they are attempting to keep that really beautiful architecture and next time you're in vancouver's chinatown look up just walk down the street and look up because the tops of the buildings are absolutely stunning and i i only noticed this quite recently i don't really look up as i'm walking down the street especially not in that area that area but the parts that have not had money put into it which is very much my street and my area, um, it, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And they're, they are building the new um, hospital opposite me. So mm-hmm. I think for years they've gone, well, we're about to dig it all up anyway. So there's no point fixing anything here. There's no point adding, I don't know, more police to this area. So the people selling drugs and doing drugs outside my door maybe feel dissuaded to do that. Um, the the, uh, the police very much don't care about my street and have basically told me that in those words like it's it's uh, that's a whole different story but mm-hmm. so even with this very very difficult neighborhood uh, that we've lived in for 14 years there's part of me that doesn't want to go because the this is uh, my home and it's very familiar and change is scary and I I know the area my kids go to school like 10 minutes walk away I know the little shops, the little stores, and there's a lot to be said for being familiar in an area. However, with the house we're moving to, 
is fucking awesome. Like it's three three floors, three bedrooms, an extra <laughs> flex room, an extra like media room, and a and a laundry room, and, and your uh, garden, and your, and your millionaires on paper, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It, it's like for all the things that are meaningless, that's really high top of that list. Like the yeah. bank makes the bank makes lots of money from us, definitely. But and the area is super cool as well. So uh, Vietnamese areas, so there's loads of great food around there, but there's loads of really interesting Middle Eastern food. We're next well, to a mo- mosque, which makes me really happy, just because. So um, I can tell you, as a person who moved out of the same neighborhood you live in currently. Mm-hmm. that I had many of the same apprehensions uh, yeah. about moving and about leaving a familiar place and leaving all the things. And then the first day that we were out of that neighborhood, I was like, how the fuck did I exist down there for so long? Yeah. So you'll have that moment. Don't worry. I think the um, it's interesting that my daughter and I feel very, very similar about this whole thing and that she feels very mixed about leaving. And she really, really wants to get out of here. My son is kind of... He's a little bit harder. He can deal with what goes around here, but she's very sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. And like, especially the shouting in the middle of the night. And uh, so she's she very actively wants to move. And when I think about, I mean, you must be the same. We, we both grew up in quite quieter rural areas with tons of lakes and forests and land around that bored me to tears at the time. But when I think about, the the difference that my the environment that my kids grow up in i feel sometimes a little bit guilty that i'm not providing the same thing that i got when i was growing up so hopefully this new area is gonna right some of those wrongs and the we're surrounded by parks we're really close to trout lake if you know vancouver we're, we're really really close to uh, lots of green space we're quite we're close to king's Bay, so there's a lot of traffic noise but the the we're on one of these beautiful tree-lined streets. So the moment you take ten steps out of our house and walk down the street, you uh, you can't hear it anymore. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So in, uh, in, in summary, Simon currently lives in a shitty part of town, and he's about to move <laughs> to a not shitty part of town, and we're all very happy for him because that very much speaks from experience. Because you lived in this shitty part of town for a long time, just a block away. I did. I it do, was terrible. I do, I do miss having you a block away. I have to say. And um, it certainly makes feeding your cats a lot easier as well. But the um, <laughs> the this this area is just so problematic. So to answer your question, I'm fucking tired. But in a month, I'll be in my new place, and so hopefully that will that will uh, start feeling a bit more like home. And that's why I haven't watched many things. Like I was so happy to get involved in VIF this year, but out of my watch list, my initial watch list of nine movies. I've watched the grand total of one mm-hmm. <laughs> because I just, all I'm doing is like working and packing and sleeping. It's terrible. How many movies have you watched from Biff now? Uh, what's your, what's your that's a good question. Could be in the 20s, maybe, isn't it? No, no, it's nowhere near that high. I mean, if you counted all the shorts that I've watched individually, mm. it would be, but I yeah. don't. Oh, I am. Um,. Four, eight, ten, eleven, eleven features, and two, two more tomorrow. I took a day off today to go watch James Bond, and then I'm watching two Ooh. more tomorrow. That's pretty cool. And then it ends on Monday, doesn't it? That's the last day. Monday's the last day, and I will not have any time to see anything on Monday either because we're having you over for dinner. So <gasps> yay! Sorry about yeah. that, but yay! Yeah. 
That's okay. Um, important information for listeners. Matt has a new kitten. This is the that's most true. important thing that's going to happen on Monday, is that we get some kitten time. That's true. I will try to include a photo of the kitten. <laughs> Um, so um, that's that, all. That's all very much like the Muppets Haunted Mansion. So. Well, let's, let's. I did watch the Muppets Haunted Mansion, so this is something I can talk about. I feel privileged. Good. Well, let's now that we have our playful, friendly banter out of the way. Let's dive into <laughs> uh, talking about the show. You can tick, tick that off the list. Yeah, yeah. It's off the off the off the checklist. <laughs> um. So why don't you take us through a brief plot synopsis uh spoiler free if you can of the uh, muppets haunted mansion hmm. so the muppets haunted mansion is some muppets go to a haunted mansion and other muppets are like the ghosts like i don't know what to tell you i can't even remember hang on <laughs> uh, it's all about it's all about Gonzo. So Gonzo decides that he wants to um, do his biggest challenge yet. So mm-hmm. Gonzo goes to this haunted mansion and he goes with his his friend Pepe, who turns out to be a king prawn. Which is the funniest joke of the whole thing is when he reveals himself to be a king prawn. And um, <laughs> and Gonzo is my favorite Muppet. Like Gonzo is a is a, a as a as a soul is my Muppet. Like, that's who I would be as a Muppet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always excited to see a Gonzo story. So this is a focus on Gonzo. Uh, he survived his, like, daredevilness, so he decides he, he can go and do this big challenge to go to this haunted mansion. And when yeah, he goes go- to the mansion, there's a spooky, like, there's someone burying bodies outside, and there's Will Arnett, who is the, like, uh, uh, the, the host of this haunted mansion, greets them in and he's clearly clearly a uh, uh, a very dark and mysterious person and and Will Arnett of course is um, is perfectly cast as he is in anything he's cast because he has just got such a great voice for doing this kind of thing that's true and um, it's very so true he, he leads them through these different sections of the the haunted house and they they learn about the previous owners and then they see some ghosts and then there's a a ghostly wedding there's like a black widow style wedding that's going to happen which you can guess who is the bride in that situation and they uh they basically try to survive this haunted mansion and the reason i'm struggling to tell you a plot is that it's really just a series of sketches. And this is one of the problems I had with it, is that it's just a series of moments. Is it a um, problem, though? I mean, that's kind of... I mean, so, it's true the Muppets have a lot of movies, but that's kind of where the Muppets live, really, is with I do, I don't sketch know, humor I don't, and meta jokes. But I texted you as I was watching this, if you remember, and I said, you know, I don't think Disney knows how to deal with the Muppets. I don't think they know how to do the Muppets because they've they've tried a new Muppet show and it didn't it got um, completely rejigged after the first season and then I think it's actually stopped now. The and this feels like if you compare this to Christmas Carol or even the Muppets movie with um, your man uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall guy, what's uh, Jason Segel? Jason Segel. So the I, I think the Muppets exist best as an ensemble. 
in a story that that connects and the joy is seeing the Muppets take on these different kind of roles in this story I just felt like you had like this bit here with with some Muppets being ghosts and this bit here with some other Muppets oh look it's John Stamos and oh look it's Darren Chris and oh there's another person that I couldn't quite remember who it is uh, and for me none of it really glued together I mean, what what's your take on this? I mean, honestly, for me, having grown up watching the Muppet Show in reruns, I kind of adored this. Um, mm-hmm. Like their movies are great, and their best movies have very coherent plots. But the Muppet Show was like a late night variety show that was just a bunch of sketches. So this being just like, oh, what's happening in this room? Oh, look at the funny thing that just happened kind of worked for me and it made I think maybe some of the celebrity cameos weren't used to their best effect but the main one Will Will Arnett was perfect and I really enjoyed watching Taraji P. Henson having the time of her life yes. be like this Black Widow bride to Pepe the King Prawn um, and I also just I've always really appreciated the Muppets self-awareness which i think this got right in a lot of cases mostly through meta humor which is where it mostly comes out um but just like uh, you know there's this scene there's a scene fairly early on where they they go to a room that has like a, a spirit trapped in a crystal ball that can foresee the future and it's miss piggy and they i can't remember how it comes up but they ask her something along the lines of like how she's doing and she's like, how am I doing? This is my biggest scene in the whole show. <laughs> and just like that kind of like meta humor from them has always worked for me. So I don't think this is among the best things they've ever done. And my bigger problem is that, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I am well aware that Disney owns everything. But when they make a show that's like, oh, let's use this IP that we own, the Muppets, to uh, and fuse it with this other IP that we own, our Haunted Mansion ride from our theme park, and Synergy. We'll make Synergy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And sometimes it works really well, and other times it's just like, I. this just reeks of like someone was like, you know, throwing darts at a board and they landed on Muppets in the Haunted Mansion. And it's not bad, it's just I feel a little bit cynical about it. Yeah, no, I I don't really disagree with anything you've said. It did feel like the the tone of it. And like I I watched a lot of the Muppet Show as well, and I do like the sketch version. But I think it's still an ensemble. Like it felt like in this, it was two Muppets with guest appearances from Miss Kermit for a little bit, Miss Piggy for a little bit, and I mm-hmm. for me that this isn't this isn't how the Muppet Show felt. It's not how the Muppet movies felt. Like there, there was too little of the other Muppets, and too much celebrity, kind of. Oh look, it's this guy. Let's do him in a scene. Let's do her in a scene. And I don't want to see, like the humans in a Muppet story are completely secondary to me. I want to see the Muppets together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel through, what you're saying. Going through a story and kind of being the funny parts of that story. Like in when in the Muppets movie, like his brother is a Muppet, like he understands this as well. Like mm-hmm. it's the, the Muppets are the story of the Muppets. It's not the humans, and and just I love Gonzo and the uh, the King Prawn as well, and great. But to have them carry the whole story was was a little bit boring to me. I just mm-hmm. didn't didn't have the ensemble thing. Although the 
the ghosts whose only job was to say dun 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 <laughs> because out of out of those two ghosts one was like his first day so he couldn't get the timings right and and he was just apologizing and just couldn't get it right and i just i felt that i really yeah. felt that and it's just i love that but that comes very early on and so maybe it sets expectations a little high for the rest of it <laughs> but um i it was just really disjointed i don't i don't think that the the current iteration of the muppets really gets what makes the muppets good compared to classic muppets maybe i do think that um uh how to phrase this that you know every one of disney's big silos does seem to have like a person at the top like marvel has kevin feige and lucasfilm has kathleen kennedy and so on and so forth and you know maybe the muppets need their version of that maybe they need someone and to be fair the guy who wrote and i think directed this has been with the muppets for a long time but maybe they need someone with a more singular approach yeah somebody yeah somebody gets the ensemble a bit more i mean let's throw um uh, Brett from uh, Flight of the Concords clearly mm-hmm. loves the Muppets. He did all the music for the last movie, and his songs are amazing. And Won an Academy got... Award for the for he, Man he or Muppet, as I Man recall. Man or Muppet? Oh my God, that song! We have dramatic reenactments of that song in my house, and, it, and <laughs> the kids obviously love it. The um, the also the your guy from Ted Lasso, the uh, the guy who plays Brett Goldstein, Roy, yeah, Brett Goldstein self-confessed Muppets fan, obviously a talented writer. Like, mm-hmm. let's get... He's just won a, an Emmy? What did he just win? He won an Emmy for Best Supporting Actor for Ted Lasso. Right, right, right. So let's get... Let's throw some Muppet money at him now, because he clearly gets it. So, um... Uh, I, I agree with you. I think it needs someone to kind of guide them back to where they used to be, because it's not where they are right now. It, yeah. I, I don't want to watch a Muppet movie and just see only two Muppets for the most of it. Like it's an ensemble piece, and that's what the movie got so so perfectly is that they understood that it was a movie about Muppets, all of the Muppets. It's not just like a focus on Kermit or Gonzo or Fuzzy or whatever. Yeah, I wonder if it would have been different if um, if this was a feature length thing and not a forty five minute special. That's what made me think of the TV, you know, the the eighties TV mm-hmm. series. Is that you know, it was much shorter. It was very self-contained, but still ridiculous and meta and funny. So I, you know, I think you, you're a little, I'm a little, I think you're a little more down on it than I am. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I just thought it was kind of a delight, you know, a short and wow. sweet and forgettable. And that's sort of fine. I wish, you know, I wish it was, I wish it was amazing, but it's fine. It's forgettable, fine. you see, Muppet shouldn't be forgettable. Yeah. Because we're, st- we're still talking but they, about Man or Muppet. But I mean, they are right. Like, there's been another Muppet movie since the one that had Man or Muppet in it that yeah, we no, don't talk terrible. about. It was so. really bad. Most Wanted is a great example of missing the point entirely of what makes the Muppets good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> so yeah, it's a whole other discussion. Well, yeah. since I think we're wrapping up on this, I have a question for you. So yeah, there's all kinds of you know meme games out there you know, for movie lovers. And one of my favorite is pick a movie and you replace everyone except for one character with Muppets. What movie do you go with? Go. Um, 
um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And who's your who's your one human? Um, uh, Sala. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> what, what's your call? I would go with um, American Psycho. <laughs> and you can keep and you can keep literally any human except for uh, Christian Bale. Like Patrick Bateman has to be a Muppet, but literally doesn't matter. Animal. Uh, I mean, it should just be animal. (laughs) But like, but like, honestly, maybe keep like Justin Theroux as his like preppy friend, (laughs) you know, or keep uh, Reese Witherspoon as his girlfriend. But Mm -hmm. yeah, but everyone. All these good options, absolutely. I mean, there's no bad option with this game. That's the best part of it, right? Like. You know, Star Trek 2 and keep Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> like, Always keep Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, that's that's an accurate statement. That's um, the, you know, Ricardo Montalban's a great example of that thing that you can't pin down. Anything he's in, he is automatically the best thing in that thing. Like, And he is so watchable, even in his second language. He is just like a magnet to the screen. Yeah, and uh, I would I would love someone more, um, to tell me why that is. He like this this kind of mythological presence that you know, we've been watching a lot of guys and dolls recently, and Brando in that movie is just like you can't take your eyes away. Mm-hmm. And um, Ricardo Montalban is very much like that as well. So yes, always keep him in stuff, definitely. Yeah, good. Who would be who would be your muppet to play Kirk though? Kirk, who's your Kirk and Spock? Dynamic, because that's 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 the whole hinge of that movie is your Kirk Spock dynamic. Who would you choose? I mean, Kirk and Spock and McCoy would have to be some combination of <laughs> Kermit and Gonzo and Fozzie Bear, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh my god, uh, we need to stop talking about this because I really want to watch that movie now. Same with yeah. Star Wars Muppets. Muppet Babies did. Um, have you ever watched the Muppet Babies? I watched. I grew up with that show. So, if you remember the Muppet Babies episode where they go into Star Wars, um, <laughs> which is an absolutely fantastic episode where they reenact some scenes from Star Wars, like I would watch the whole of Star Wars just with Muppets, just complete shot for shot, but with Muppets. Like, someone needs to get on that. That would be fantastic. I mean, yeah, I mean, imagine, I just had a good one in my head. Imagine the movie Closer. <laughs> <laughs> And keep uh, and keep any one, any one human of the four main humans, and that would be an amazing film. Do you know what I think? It would have to be Jude Law, because for the same reason, he's kind of like a young Michael Caine anyway, and he yeah. would play it. He would play it totally straight like Michael Caine did. But Plus, then, I guess means... I guess imagine a scene between if you can imagine Clive Owen being played by Kermit. And Miss Piggy being like Julie Roberts being played by Miss Piggy and have, and having that whole scene where they fight about whether she's had sex with Jude Law. <laughs> and she asks, she screams, "Why do you want to know?" And he said, and he yells back, "Because I'm a fucking caveman." Like, <laughs> just. I was thinking more like uh, Miss Piggy being Natalie Portman in the strip bar scene. Mm, yeah. And uh, and just having horrific nightmares about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. So yeah. There's no, there's no bad answer to any of this, is there? No, really not. So, <laughs> good. Okay, so yeah, go watch it, but then go watch. Um, 
it's almost Christmas, so go watch Muppet, Muppet Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol is probably Island, still their Treasure best. Treasure Island's good as well, but yeah, Christmas Carol's the best one. Well, Treasure Island has that magical thing known as a Tim Curry appearance. So. <laughs> again, he's another Ricardo Montalban. Like, yeah, again, he's yeah. he's always the best thing in the thing he shows up in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. So, moving on, let's move on from a delightful children's Halloween special to a new <laughs> teen slasher movie from Netflix, which I watched as part of Fantastic Fest last month and has just been released on Netflix this week. Um, so I've got it. Um, I've got it on. I haven't seen it, but I've got it on silent as we're recording this podcast. I have it on and just looking at it visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of wish I'd watched it now because it looks like exactly the kind of thing I would like to watch. So this is um, a moment. This is a moment in the podcast, folks, where I get to do the thing I get to do with Simon a lot, right. which is to say, "I told you so." <laughs> <laughs> this is because you have time to watch things. I'm so just devastated that that's I don't true. Have time to do anything. What's the synopsis of this movie? Give me a rundown. Uh, well, it's a, it's a teen slasher. So there's a group of teens. And one by one, they are killed. Now, is it ironic scream style, or is it straight? No, it's straight. Style? It's straight. It's a. Uh, it's like it's just a, a very good. It's a very good version of a pretty standard teen slasher. You know, it's a mystery. You know, there's a main group of friends. There's a couple of bullies, and people are dying one by one. And you, the whole movie, you have to. You know, you're wondering who the killer is, and then toward the end, the killer is revealed, and you go, oh, of course, and their motives are revealed, and the version of that in this is actually pretty good. Um, I wouldn't say that I knew who it was, but I also wasn't surprised who it was, because, you know, because the the mystery was well done, but also one of the characters is clearly a dick. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the reasoning is all... um, very woke, which is I find very interesting. So, and the main character, whose uh, character name is uh, Makani, I believe. Sorry, my browser with that information closed. Is it the? I'm watching an actress walking around her home at the moment. She's just discovered a houseplant in her oven and her door open. Is that the actress you're thinking of? Because she is a very uh, that sounds like actress. Uh, Sydney Park who plays Makani Young, who's like, she's like the main character and she lives with her grandmother and she's a recent transplant to this small town in Mm -hmm. like rural America. And she's moved there because she has a checkered past from her home in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, that all, as people die, it becomes clear they're all being killed on a theme as Mm -hmm. all good slashers do. Mm -hmm. What's the theme? Uh, That everyone, everyone who dies has a secret. Like okay. a, and the person who kills them also wears a 3D printed lifelike mask of the victim's face at the time they're doing it, which is a nice little twist. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, and and it's 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 good. I enjoy. I actually had a really good time watching it. I watched it in the middle of the night by myself with the lights off, and I, I had a great time. Oh, cool. I feel like all these these Scooby Doo style slashes where they you reveal the mask killer at the end that the. The, the movie completely hinges on whether that last reveal is bullshit or not. And the good example of this is Scream 1 to Scream 2. Mm-hmm. Scream 1 has a really interesting twist with the two of them, and mm-hmm. Scream 2 is absolute bullshit that makes no sense. And so it kind of colors your feeling of the whole movie. So do you feel like the justification of the slasher in this movie 
was satisfying. Was it a, a satisfying ending? Yeah, it was. And uh, it tied into some... It's hard to say without spoilers, and I don't think we should go into spoilers, really. A, because you haven't seen it, and B, because I think you should probably see this, as with most slashers, you, you don't want any of it spoiled, right? That's half the yeah. fun. Um, but the resolution of it ties into some uh, themes of... Uh, what's the right way to say this without giving it all away? I would say themes of like privilege and belonging basically would be the two right. the two main things and about you know everyone who dies has a secret and but are oh. those secrets really worth something that should be that should be killed for right um yeah it's it's I mean like it's got a lot of talent behind it like I don't know um, Patrick I don't know if you know Patrick Bryce but he is one of those guys who works like the Duplass brothers a lot he directed a movie called Creep um. And, and Creep 2, and Man, he's written and performed with them a bunch. Um, but it, the movie was also produced by Sean Levy, who directed um, uh, Free Guy Free this guy. summer, yeah. and James Wan, who directed famously uh, the Saw and Insidious and Conjuring franchises. Oh, okay. Um, so it's got a lot of people behind it to make it, you know, who know what they're doing anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not... Uh, you know, I don't think it's the best version of the thing that it is, but it's a it's a good version of the thing that it is. Right. You know, it's it's interesting that actually that um, we talk about the mask killer and the satisfying payoff of who's under the mask at the end. And um, after watching Midnight Mass, which you may uh, if if you've listened to our previous podcast, we actually quite like. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first Mike Flanagan uh, directed <laughs> thing. So I mean, I've been. If you've been within earshot of me in the last month, <laughs> you would know that I like this show. Yeah, yeah, little subtle hints that we give out. So I've been working my way through some other Mike Flanagan stuff because Midnight Mass is so well directed and it plays so well with expectations and kind of assumptions and, and how it subverts them. That I started with his first feature called Hush, which I hadn't seen before. I don't know how Hush passed me by, because it's exactly my kind of movie. That's not and even his first feature, though. That's oh, is it? Uh, no, Ocul- Oculus was definitely before Hush. Oh, I thought Oculus was afterwards. Okay. Um, uh, so- yeah, Hush, Hush, and Before I Wake and Ouija Origin of Evil were all 2016, and Oculus was 2013. So the thing I find really interesting about Mike Flanagan so far is that, for for example, in Hush, you've got a deaf woman who is terrorized by a killer in a mask. And at the very, very beginning, we see him brutally murder her best friend and kind of mock her with the body. And he's wearing a very, very disturbing, like emotionless mask. And so you kind of already, because we've seen these movies so many times, you kind of start thinking, okay, who's behind the mask? Who went when the mask reveal comes, are we going to believe it? And so on. And the interesting thing is that the mask comes off straight away. That mask just goes. So the guy under the mask can mock this lip reading deaf woman mm-hmm. because she says, I haven't seen your face. You can go. And so he just takes the mask off and we don't see the mask again. The mask just goes. And um, I've seen so many mass slasher movies where the, the reveal is the, high, the the big part of the movie. To have a movie that kind of builds up that expectation and then removes it straight away made Hush all the stronger because suddenly you now you have two personalities instead of 
one personality and one stranger in a mask. And uh, I thought it was a really interesting subversion. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you're a convert to the the House of Flanagan. I kind of wish you'd mentioned him being good like before Midnight Mass, maybe oh. once or twice a week for the last two years <laughs> with Blind been... Manor and Hill House and Oculus. And, and and hush and his and actual hush, and... his actual first feature, which is called Absentia. Um, oh, I don't know that one. And your reaction when Midnight Mass came out, and then he liked your tweet. <laughs> yeah, like maybe I should have checked him out a little bit earlier. But, yeah, um... and did you see he's he's adapting uh, an Edgar Allan Poe story for Netflix? Yeah. Very yeah. excited. But he's currently filming his new thing straight away, and it's got Riley Riley Kearns? No, what's his name? Uh, oh, you're talking about Josh, Josh, Josh something, Josh Siegel, mm. from the guy from Midnight Mass. You're talking about, um, yeah, yeah. Whoever played Riley is in Zach Guilford. Zach Guilford. That's what it is. That's right. Yeah, that's actually um, finished production. It's in post now. He is so like prolific, isn't he? He just gets things done and finished and out of the way. His, well, um, I mean, yeah. The I think Midnight Mass was in post for quite a while because I think I actually am acquainted with someone who's a production assistant who worked on oh, really? midnight club and okay. um they uh so yeah they told me when it wrapped which because i was like it, it, it wrapped right before midnight mass came out if memory serves oh right okay interesting so so that's well, very I much also... like this slasher movie oh, that oh okay well yeah no, I was, <laughs> the, the link being that the the fa- the mask on the face is now such a cliche that you have to if you're going to do it it's got to be a good like worthwhile reveal and mm-hmm. i liked how flanagan played against that and it sounds like there's someone in your house actually has a worthwhile and meaningful reveal which is good yeah and to be fair it's not landing with everyone i think it's sitting at something like 55 or 60 percent on rotten tomatoes right now okay um so it's not gonna work for everyone but honestly like the big reveal doesn't necessarily make or break a movie for me if because the kill scenes in this movie are all very good, <laughs> mm-hmm. and when you're watching a teen slasher, you know you want to you want to see some teens get slashed, and they do in this movie. The the very first one in the movie, which I don't know if you watched with it running in the background there, but mm-hmm. it's yeah. a, a young sports star in his own home, and he the resolution of it is he goes into a walk-in closet because he he knows someone's in the house but he can't find them, and as he's looking in the at himself in a mirror this hand comes out from all the under all the clothes and just slices both of his Achilles tendons. And then it just mm-hmm. goes downhill from there for him. And like, yes. <laughs> it's really well done. Yeah. I did watch that. It was well done. And there's a, there's another scene with uh, the sort of like bully girl who gets murdered uh, in a church that I mm-hmm. thought was very well executed. Mm-hmm. So I, I you know, no pun, no, pun intended. No, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> Uh, so like, again, the reveal is not going to work for everyone, but those kinds of scenes work for me and that's mm-hmm. enough to make me say, yeah, you should probably watch this movie. Excellent. How does it fit? Uh, how, sorry. How does it compare rather to your, um, Fear Street, uh, anthology that's been out recently that seems to be on the same kind of track. Is this better or worse than that? Or is it completely different? This is different. Um, this is a fairly well-constructed teen slasher. Whereas the fear street trilogy was an homage to three different kinds of slasher movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, 
one was a 90s set scream style slasher two is a 70s set kids at camp slasher and the third one is a period set you know religious horror type slasher Mm -hmm. and i weirdly i was in the minority on that and i really liked the first two and didn't really like the third one as much but most people Mm -hmm. were the other way around most people loved the third one Mm -hmm. but anyway um it's not it's not better or worse it's just different uh and i saw someone actually saying on twitter that like oh this one kind of makes those other ones they made this year redundant and you could sort of argue that either way like with one with this one you don't necessarily need those and with those you don't necessarily need these but mm-hmm. more movies in the world is a good thing so mm-hmm. yeah. yes absolutely good so um just while we've got a little bit of time i just want to pitch in and say that i've seen this first two episodes of squid game right. and um everyone's kind of talking about it at the moment so it's quite hard to avoid um spoilers so the the interesting thing that I just want to point out with Squid Game is that I ex- expected it to be one kind of thing, and it's actually much better than I expected it to be, in that it's quietly devastating. Like, it's more, two episodes in, it's more of an examination of the absolute, like, crippling problems with debt that many people have. And I was kind of predicting it'd be a bit more like Battle Royale, a bit more gratuitous and get straight straight down to the conceptual stuff, but the, the games that they play. Mm-hmm. But it's actually, there's way more focus on the people. And it take, it really takes time to um, to paint the, the problems that they're facing and how much they've painted themselves into a corner in terms of... Um, their the debt that they get into and it's it's not done in a kind of over the top kind of fashion it all seems very very real and that's it's way more devastating than i thought it would be so i'm looking forward to watching more um, squid game well i mean devastating is good so yeah absolutely like it's it's very um it's very touching what are you watching at the moment well i saw james bond today and I'm not going to say anything about that movie because the it's going to be divisive and I'm going to try and have a review up for tomorrow as well. Um, but my advice with this movie is that if you should, if you're on social media, you should mute every keyword because you do not want spoilers for this. In particular, you don't want the end to be spoiled. So, so I've seen a number of people say this. So we're dancing around the actual fact of it, like there's clearly something in this movie that is hugely important for the future of this franchise. What, like, uh, do you do you feel that it's made a good decision in that direction without telling us what that decision is? I clear, think that this movie, I think that this film ended in the most logical and proper way for Daniel Craig's era as James Bond to have ended. I see. Okay. Well, that's good. That's positive. Yeah, I'm not saying anything else though. <laughs> and do you um, now Craig is done, and we can look back on on his um, Bond tenure, which was how many years was he Bond for? It's a lot Fif- longer than it feels. Fif- Fifteen, I think, because he started right. in 2006. I think Sky. I right, think that right. Casino Royale was 2006. Right. Where would you now place um, Craig? in um a ranked list of <laughs> uh that's a loaded question 
I would probably put him near the top, though. I have a hard time with that this question because I actually hold them all in, in fairly high esteem for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the weirdo who, like, for all for better or for worse, you know, my James Bond is actually Roger Moore. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, um, you'd think it would be Timothy Dal or that would be um, Pierce Brosnan because he's who I grew up with, and you think it would be Sean Connery because he's the original. Um, mm-hmm. Or Daniel Craig, because he's put out, you know, he's had five movies and three of them are great. Um, but I grew up watching on TV the Roger Moore ones, and mm-hmm. I really appreciate his lazy playboy style yes. of playing Bond. Especially, you know, not at first, but like from The Spy Who Loved Me on. Yes. Um, this is exactly the same position my daughter's in. I was mentioning this before we started, how much she loves Moonraker. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he definitely has a certain style. He definitely delivers the Bon Mot a lot better than everyone else did, I think. He's he's the best at the one-liner because he clearly is mocking people. <laughs> anyway, um, I think this is the, the latest Bond film. To put a short pin in it is that it's the best one since Casino Royale. Um, I'll need more viewings to say whether or not I think it's the best one that Craig did. But it's up there. It's it's good. So, but I can't tell you why because I'm not talking spoilers because this movie only came out yesterday. Okay, we'll probably hopefully talk more about it next week. Um, how was Anna de Amos? Was she a good Bond woman? Yeah, which, well, she's great. That's all I'm going to say for now. Okay, and was there any sneaky reference to Knives Out? No. Ah, damn it. <laughs> I just, I really, really like, it's just one of my happy places is when actors um, appear in very different movies together mm-hmm. and you know that they're kind of buddies. And then, mm-hmm. and um, so I, I love the fact watching Knives Out that this was a Bond and Bond girl. Mm-hmm. He's very, in this very different dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait well, to see it. And, I think, and I think you should try to see it. I think you should try to see it so we can talk about it next week. That's my request of you for this week. Right. I will do. I will get on that. I will throw my children at someone for three hours. (laughs) Hey, it's not, um, is it it theaters only or have they found some kind of like premier stream thing? Uh, I don't know about anywhere else, but in Canada, it's theaters theaters only. That's true. I kind of like, I know things have to go back to the theater of like... People are trying to get back to normal, and this is where they make money. They being the, the producers and the cinemas themselves, but mm-hmm. having stuff available on my TV at home completely transformed my ability to watch movies. Like utterly and completely transformed it. And I'm I'm absolutely willing to pay that thirty five dollars to watch something at home. <laughs> yeah, in, me in too. The comfort of my home. Me too. Yeah, I kind of wish that just was the norm now, but it's not going to be because it, it's uh, it's too different from the model that the companies want to have. But hey. Yeah. Anyway, well, on that bombshell, uh, <laughs> let's. We should probably call it there. I think we've yes. talked about all the things we need to talk about. Yes, we have. So do the uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, so if you've been listening to this, we'd like to say thank you for listening to this. We appreciate your listenership. That's very alliterative of me. <laughs> um, 
But if you'd like to support us, please feel free to give us a like or a review on your podcasting platform of choice. And if you'd like to support us a little more directly, head to awesomefriday.ca. And we have a Patreon link and a Ko-fi link and a PayPal link. Um, but honestly, we write more than we talk. So we'd love to see you reading our stuff too. Uh, that's about it. I hope you guys have all have a good week. And we will see you next week. Yes. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.